hear now in the words of Scripture, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9, verses 33 to 41. Then they came to Capernaum, and when Jesus was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another, who was the greatest. He sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last of all, and servant of all. Then he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, like the wind, your spirit moves in ways beyond our ability to grasp. But we ask that your spirit would blow and move in this sanctuary and in our listening and in my speaking, such that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would please you as we stand upon you and your foundation as our rock and as our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whoever is not against us is for us, said Jesus in today's scene from Mark. But in another scene from another gospel, this same Jesus said, Whoever is not with me is against me. So which is it? Who is for and who is against who is right and who is wrong? Who and what is true and who and what is false? It's just too bad that Scripture has no resonance with current events. <laughs> with all that we have seen and heard this week, today in the church, I would ask that we just narrow our gaze a little bit and look at the Jesus of this text, who was asked by his disciples to stop a man who was casting out demons in Christ's name because that man was not a follower. He wasn't with them. Jesus responds, do not stop him. For no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon after to speak evil of me. Here we see and we hear Jesus as perhaps we have not seen or heard him before. 
If I were to ask you to give me words or images that you might use to describe the Jesus of our faith, I imagine you would use words like compassionate and loving and wise, forgiving and faithful and perfect. We have images of Jesus as the faithful healer, the good shepherd, the sacrificial lamb, the, the one who welcomed the child in his arms. In our text today, we encounter, however, a Jesus who is strategic, calculating, tactical. These are traits that we might attribute more to a CEO than a Messiah. And yet the Jesus of this text is clearly a strategist, someone who is willing to make hard choices and at times compromise one set of ideals or values in pursuit of others in order to reach a desired goal. We can understand why the disciples would have wanted to stop that man. After all, the first words that Jesus uttered to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew were, follow me, and they did. Soon thereafter, Jesus encountered James and John mending their nets with their father, and immediately he called them, and immediately they left their nets and their father to follow him. Later, Jesus called all 12 of his disciples up to the top of a high mountain where he gave them authority to do what? Cast out demons. So when John and the disciples see that other man who had left nothing behind and climbed nary a mountain to claim the name of Jesus and exercise demons with a level of success that they found elusive, you can imagine why they wanted Jesus to stop them, or to stop him. But Jesus said, no, don't. Don't stop him. Not, apparently, because Jesus was glad to have one less demon possessing someone in the neighborhood. Not because he thought, perhaps, that that man would someday become like the disciples, one who would drop everything and follow. Jesus merely wanted to remove an obstacle in the way of the faithful. Jesus had a goal, an agenda. And in pursuit of that goal and agenda, he articulated a strategy. He took that strategy to its utmost conclusion shortly thereafter. He said to the disciples, if anything gets in your way or causes you to stumble, get rid of it. If your hand causes you to stumble, chop it off. If your eye causes you to fall, tear it out. We see in Jesus the skilled tactician at work. His eye is focused on the end game, and he is willing to sacrifice the rook to protect the queen. His actions baffled the disciples who wanted the assurance provided by control and conformity. But Jesus wanted more than these to clear the way. Being strategic means that we act towards, we move towards the goals or ideals that we deem most important. 
And this means making some choices at the expense of others. A month or so ago, I saw a leaf blower in this neighborhood, not one of yours, I'm sure, (laughs) doing a very fine job of, of blowing and moving all of the lawn debris and grass clippings and leaves from his client's yard over to the neighbor's. I said, that's going to make for a sermon example someday. (laughs) Something about what it means to be a good neighbor. Uh, But I'll use that image for a different end today. And before I go too far into this uh, apparent diatribe against leaf blowing, let me say a few things. First, there are at least two wonderful members of this church whose livelihoods depend on the success of their landscaping companies. And I do not want to make them angry or impoverished. So if and when you cannot discern or remember the point of this sermon, it is this. God loves landscapers and wants you to hire one. (laughs) Yes. But second, and this is related, don't hire me to be that one. Because just as the disciples railed against the exorcist, partly because he was doing a better job than they at the very task they thought they were there to do. I might have a little axe to grind with leaf blowing because I'm so bad at it. I'll start here for 10 minutes, moving things around, getting things in the general direction of where they need to be, and oh, i got to go over here, so I'm going to do this part over here, and I move things around, oh, I missed a spot, so I go back over here, and I fix what I missed, only to create a new mess over there where I was, so I go back again and do this side, and after too much time and too much effort, I've moved leaves sort of in the right direction, but it's been a time-consuming job. Now, I say all this because even the most, or I say all this, but also want to say that even the most efficient and neighborly of leaf-blowing work raises some questions. We pay all this money and exert all this time to burn our fuel, to spew smoke and drown our peaceful fall afternoons with the belching chorus of two-stroke engines all so that we can move these leaves into big piles on the streets so then we have less room to park and make it harder for our cars to pass one another on the road. And then these big piles sit before the city truck comes and vacuums the leaves away, but in that time, many of the leaves on our impressive pile are blown back onto the yard or onto our neighbors to be joined by the hundreds of new leaves that have fallen from the trees, which will necessitate us to do this all over again in just a week's time. But we're okay with this because for a few short hours, our yards look nice and neat, including the areas with the trees and the shrubs and the gardens, because those areas... Let me start over. We're okay with this. Because for a few short hours, our yards look nice and neat, including the areas with the trees, shrubs, and plantings, areas that, because of our leaf removal, and it's breaking the natural cycle of fertilization that has sustained these plants over the course of millennia, we will need in a few months' time to spend even more money and even more time to take bags of mulch 
to nourish the soil. And what is mulch made of? Dead leaves that we have just spent all this time moving to the street. This crazy cycle is crazy. It's enough to make you, it's enough to make you shake your head in disbelief. But all that said, leaf blowing is actually very strategic. It is the application of a tactical set of choices in pursuit of a certain set of goals that do exist in conflict with others. Leaf blowing serves the goals of neatness and order and control, of better looking grass, and the approval of our neighbors who would otherwise be angry if our leaves blew onto their neat lawns. But these goals come at the expense of others, like the natural rhythm of trees or the quiet of our neighborhoods. For the record, I will be blowing leaves out of my lawn this fall. But I use this leafy diversion to demonstrate how, in reality, we all are strategists. That through our choices, we reflect and dictate and move toward what we deem to be important. What we eat serves ultimately to reveal or enact our agenda for our bodies. How we spend our time or the people we choose to serve or befriend, the ways that we spend our money, all of these are measures of what we value as the end game, as the goals of our living. The challenge lies in the fact that even our best and most noble ideals and goals are often in conflict with one another. Our desire to do our best and provide the most for our families can diminish what we give to our surrounding communities. Our hopes and dreams for our country can clash with the well-being of the wider world. The disciples in our text sought to preserve the important values of consistency and diligence. But those conflicted with Christ's desire to clear the roadblocks that exist along the way. It can be messy and painful when conflicting ideals and goals come into contact. This is one of many reasons why this week's Judiciary Committee hearings were so unsettling. For in that cramped committee room, a gut-wrenching mixture of raw humanity and high ideals were forced together, confronting participants and witnesses alike with the need to reconcile a host of seemingly contradictory hopes, desires, and truth claims. Multiple agendas were being pursued, not only the composition and character of our highest court, but also justice and compassion for victims of abuse, as well as the preservation of the rule of law and the fairness of due process. The, the weak left us wrestling with hard questions of who we are for, who we are against, who is right, who is wrong. 
Jesus had to confront similar questions. And it turns out he was not entirely consistent in his answering of them, but he was constant in the pursuit of the cause that was most important to him, that is, the loving will of his Father in heaven for God's people on earth. There's a moment in the Old Testament book of Numbers where the Israelites who have journeyed from Egypt and slavery to the promise of their new home. And God loses patience with the way in which their fearfulness overwhelms their faithfulness. How long, God laments, how long will they refuse to believe in me in spite of all I have done for them? I will strike them and I will harm them with pestilence and disinherit them. But Moses reasoned with God and said, But God, if you do that, what will the Egyptians say? Will they not say it is because the Lord was not able to bring his people into the land that he slaughtered them in the wilderness? God had a tactical moment. And God relented. God had an abundance of power and options, but moved strategically in pursuit of the end game. So here is what we might say. If Jesus is strategic, and if Jesus is the embodiment of the gospel, of the good news, then that gospel, that good news, is inherently strategic as well. It keeps its eye on the end game and courses through all of the competing agendas and truth claims to lead us into God's ultimate narrative of freedom and abundance. As people of faith, let us hold fast to our faith in a compassionate and tactical Christ, who, when needed, chose compromise over consistency freedom over control, progress over perfection, to remove the stumbling blocks to faith. Let us, by his example, choose wisely our ways, knowing that our choices reveal what we hold to be true or important or worthwhile. Life and its competing claims will be unsettling, messy, and full of contradiction. But Jesus himself stood strategically in that place. And he was and is and always shall be for us and against all of the stumbling blocks that stand in the way of God's will for us in heaven. Let it be so for us in what we do, in how we move, and have our being. Amen.